1: Hey everybody and welcome to another edition of the RotoWire DFS podcast sponsored by FanDuel. I'm your host, Joe Pizzapia, and with me today is the one the only DVR, Derek Van Riper. What's going on, D? How are you?
2: Doing great, Joe. Just uh, survived a tornado warning. First of the summer here uh, near Madison, Wisconsin, so things are, are looking up. Despite the fact that Blake Snell is probably not who I wanted him to be.
1: No, I, I think that's probably true, but uh, when you open up your door, were there a bunch of uh, short people singing songs and offering you candy and things like that, or no, that didn't happen?
2: Unfortunately, no. That would be terrific if I uh, came out of the basement one day and, and saw that the sidewalks were gold and, and <laughs> munchkins were available to offer me candy and sing songs. That would be terrific.
1: Here's a, here's a good one. Who, what picture would you like to drop a house on this year in uh, 2017? If you could drop a house in any pitcher, who would it be?
2: Probably Joe Ross.
1: Oh, that's a good one. That's definitely a good one. Mine's Tanaka because oh, every yeah. bad Tanaka start has been in my lineup and every good one has been on the bench. So uh, Masahiro Tanaka, you're on notice. Just keep looking up. All right, let's get to it. We're on to Thursday here. And looking at the uh, slate, we know there's some day games. So let's talk about those first. Uh, on the day games, look, you've got Kluber and Kashner. you got Junis and Fulmer. Gossett and Peacock, then you've got Lynn and Corbin, John Lester, and, of course, your favorite, Joe Ross in the 4 o'clock game. So when we're looking here, Kluber's the obvious cash game pitcher. But for GPPs, if you're just going to play the day slate, if you feel like getting involved there, where would you run to? Would you go to a guy like Lester? Is that the matchup you look for? Or is the guy like Peacock against the A's because you're looking at the strikeouts and you're hoping that you can get enough there for out of him to to make some sort of substantial move forward in the as far as pay lines and things like that.
2: Yeah, I think it's Peacock for me. It's uh it's it's weird because there was a concern, you know, when he first moved back into the rotation that the workload might be a little light. I don't think the Astros are necessarily going to do that. They've got a lot of banged up starters still. So I don't think they're really worried about Peacock pitching deep into the game. That concern is now gone. The A's have a lot of swing and miss in that lineup. The price on Peacock is very fair. He brings upside the floor is really not that bad either. I like the fact that he's going up against Daniel Gossett, a pitcher that the Houston lineup should have no difficulty handling tomorrow.
1: Right. Houston's been terrific. So, look, that's obviously the way to go. Don't get fancy here without going with Kluber. I mean, Kluber at home is a good bet against the Rangers. and You know, people are going to want to get fancy here. Try to pivot off of that. Don't. Don't be stupid, okay? You don't want that. lester has got a tough matchup against Washington there. So, that's another one. And, and of, of course – if you're going to be looking for guys to start, I don't know if Contreras is going to throw out more guys, but uh, certainly anybody will throw out more guys than uh, the aforementioned uh, now no longer Cubs secondary catcher, uh, one Miguel Montero. But Lester, obviously, keep that in mind that he's going to be on the mound and Trey Turner stole four the other night against Arrieta. I would imagine against Lester, if he's in the lineup, which he should be, that that's going to be open season on him too.
2: Uh, that definitely should be. The Nats are a team that's built to run uh, when they get a good matchup like that. It goes beyond Turner, too. A guy like Brian Goodwin, who's been yep. cheap and hitting high in the order. He's been in a lot of my lineups lately, too, just because there's so much value based on where they've been hitting him.
1: And it's crazy, because the other day, Todd Zoll and I were looking at a $3,700-priced Trey Turner. And on the other side, he was about 5200 Completely, you know, polarizing in terms of price. And I said to Todd, I said, you know, he's going against Arrieta with Montero. I said, is it just me or is it a lock that there's going to be at least two stolen bases here from Trey Turner? And I don't think either of us expected four, but today he's just 3900 So for only $200 more, I think you've really got to keep riding that horse uh, right into the ground. All right, let's go to the night slate here. You got Clayton Kershaw in the cash games at 12500 uh, He's at Los Angeles, but not at home. He's going to be uh, in the Angel Stadium there. Probably your cash game lock, as we always like Kershaw there. Is there a case there for Archer? We're saving 2K, or are you still going to Kershaw? Just don't be fancy. Don't overthink
2: it. I think with the Angels going about Mike Trout still, like that makes picking on them really appealing, even though they've been able to string together some pretty impressive offensive performances in his absence. I think Kershaw's the kind of guy that, that knows people are suggesting that he's not quite himself right now, and he's going to be – even more motivated than usual by that. It just seems like he has that extra little edge about him, and that's part of how he became the best pitcher of this current crop. I mean, he just has that, that desire to be dominant on a start-by-start basis. So the, the appeal of Archer is maybe just getting away from Kershaw ownership in tournaments, but I think in cash games, it's really hard to fade Kershaw right now, especially since he's in the 12s as opposed to the mid-$13,000 range like we saw last season.
1: I would agree. I mean, it's been a very good season for Kershaw outside of the home runs, which is bizarre. I could not believe when someone told me how many home runs Kershaw's given up this year. I think it's 17 or something. Like that I mean, some huge number where it's just mind-blowing where you would never equate that with Kershaw, but that's been his M.O. Uh, there's a guy today who's a huge trap. Jimmy Nelson's pitched well this year. Besides the fact you probably don't like him in Cincinnati, you really shouldn't like him on the road because this is a guy who's got an away ERA of 5.06 right now. The home ERA is two six four. so outside of Milwaukee, uh, there's no way Jimmy Nelson's getting into any lineup of mine. Is there anybody else that you see on the slate that could be a trap as far as pitchers were? Eh, the matchup might look good on paper, but in actuality, might not be as appealing as you think.
2: If you're just chasing strikeouts, Jamison on at home against the Rays because how much the Rays strike out, that might kind of jump out to you, but we know the Rays have handled right-handed pitching as well as all but a handful of teams this season. It's basically a top-five offense right now the Tampa Bay offers. So I think he's a little bit of a trap as a GPP sort of play. Uh, What do you make of David Price right now? Is he he a trap or is he actually the kind of guy that's a little bit sneaky based on the fact that the price is lower than a typical David Price dollar amount in 9,100s where he's sitting right now? The twins are a decent offense, but not one that you completely avoid with upper tier starters. Does David Price still fit the bill? as an upper-tier starter for you right now.
1: I wish he wasn't 9,100. That's where I struggle. If he was somewhere around 87, which I know doesn't sound like a big difference, but it kind of is. I mean, the problem is tonight, tonight when you look at the slate, I think you have to consider him in the GPP world because of what you're saying. Number one, people are going to be scared off, so the ownership will be low. He does have two of those last three starts of quality starts. The strikeouts haven't been overwhelming, but that is a lineup there that, does have strikeouts in it with Minnesota. He is at home. He is going against Kyle Gibson, who's a train wreck. So I think there's a lot of reasons why you like Price, you like Archer. I'm going to tell you right now, I don't like really anybody here in the GBP world under Price. I mean, I'm looking at the rest of these names. Peacock is in the day slate. I don't think you can make a case really well for Tyon getting well into a sixth inning. Corbin and Lynn in Arizona. I don't think you love the location of that one. So really, this is the kind of night where I think you might have to go with some big time pitchers and that, and I'll bring it back to this. Do you believe that because of where you're at tonight, because there aren't a lot of great options and certainly not a lot of discounted ones is Kershaw in play for any GPPs for you?
2: Yeah, I think he can be because I think there are so many weak starters going where you can find cheap hitters that are in decent enough spots to justify it and actually play that in a GPP. I think Jaime Garcia is going to be somewhat popular because of the lack of alternatives the price is fair at 7700 We know the Padres strike out a lot. He gets them at Petco. As far as opportunities to use Jaime Garcia, this is on the short list of situations that I actually think about doing it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I can understand it. It's, it's definitely a tough night. It seems like more of a cash game kind of night, the way the scoring and the, uh, excuse me, the way the pricing is right now. But, Uh, Look, I think Price is in play. I agree. Archer clearly in play. If you don't want to go all the way up and save some money for some offense. All right, let's go over to the catcher position. $2,900 Sal Perez. That's where I want to start because, yeah, I know it's a righty-righty matchup, but he's got 11 home runs against righties this year, hitting almost 300 against right-handed pitching. I know Fulmer's no slouch. He's a good pitcher. But the Royals' offense has been better of late, and I'm looking at Perez as one of the more sound returns at catcher and he's under 3k to me that's a lock
2: yeah i think that makes a lot of sense you know he's going to be in a prominent spot in the batting order every day too that's where part of the appeal comes from him as well as far as the the day game catchers go it's weird because the slate looks like it's chopped up where there's only three day games that are actually playable even though there are some late afternoon games that you mentioned before so we're left with you know, the Rangers, the Indians, the Royals, the Tigers, the A's, and the Astros on the primary early slate. I've been playing Alex Avila a lot, and he homered again on Wednesday. He's still 2,900. Assuming he's in there against Junis, I think that's going to be a good way to go, especially with Avila hitting second in that Tigers lineup. Oh.
1: And the one thing you can always count, too, when we have these day games, there's going to be some cheap catchers some backup guys. You know, day game after a night game, you could throw one in there if they're in a, a decent matchup lefty righty. And that's something you got to just basically check when you get lineups coming out later today. All right, let's move on to first base where we can really make some damage here. All right, top of the board here at first base. Uh, we got Paul Gochman in the afternoon uh, at 4,500. At home against Lynn. You got Anthony Rizzo leading off against Joe Ross in Washington. Let's talk about Rizzo leading off for a second because it seems to be the the trend where they're comfortable. It seems to be something they're continuing to do. Joe Ross has been very hit and miss. I mean, let's be honest, more miss than anything. Do you think that Rizzo is equally appealing out of that leadoff spot as he was when he was hitting in the middle of the order?
2: You know, the funny thing is I like him more in DFS because he's the leadoff spot, but I like him less in season long because it it changes (laughs) what I expected him to do. I thought he'd be uh, a run producer more so than a guy that's going to pile up uh, an elite number of runs scored on a per-game basis. And I realized he was in the middle of the lineup long enough to where the numbers aren't going to be totally askew uh, the way that a a typical leadoff hitter would have them. But unless the Cubs offense kind of snaps back into 2016 form, I think that's one category RBIs where uh is going to start letting his season-long owners down. But yeah, being in the leadoff spot, definitely like him a little more. You rarely see first baseman, and in, in that spot, we're seeing Eric Thames hit second a lot for the Brewers right now. And I think it's one of those things that it's that little extra edge that you're always looking for that might be the difference between you know Rizzo and. Miggy on a particular day where the pitching matchups could be similar, but then you see like the probability is a little higher that Rizzo gets one more trip to the plate that could put him over the top.
1: Well, if I'm paying up for a first baseman today, I'm paying up for Votto at 41. I mentioned that five ERA on the road of Jimmy Nelson. I want shares of Votto. I want shares of Duval, I want shares of Cincinnati Reds with home run power. Uh, as we go down this list though, first base is a place where you do have other options and at 36 has uh, continuously been undervalued. Let's talk about another guy, too, who at 3,400, uh, I think you could certainly make the case for him. One of the quieter good seasons, he kind of gets lost in the shuffle when you talk about guys like Justin Smoke and Justin Moore and anyone else named Justin. But his name isn't Justin. It's Mitch Moreland. And if he is in the lineup here, I mean, this is a guy in his last three games averaging 20-plus fan points. He's got a great matchup against Kyle Gibson. So what are your thoughts on Moreland at 34
2: tonight? Love it. I think you're Called it out with Kyle Gibson being one of the punching bags on the slate. Moreland probably won't be that heavily owned because there are so many other quality first basemen to choose from. Justin Smokes only 3,500 against Ubaldo. Uh, You know, if you're fading Jaime Garcia, Will Myers at 3,600 against the lefty and Jaime Garcia is really not that bad. Uh, So you got those options, the higher end option, Votto Bellinger, at 4,100, somehow feels like a steal. I know he's a rookie, and he's doing things that we really just don't see any player do, so that makes him even more difficult to evaluate, but shouldn't Cody Bellinger cost like $5,000 right now based on what he's been doing?
1: You would think. You would think the price would be higher, but a lot of the FanDuel pricing has been a lot looser than other sites, so I, for some reason, I don't that's just how it's been so far. You mentioned some of these guys like Bohr, even at 3,100, uh, even that mid-range where I, I love... Um, I love Moreland so much. Right under him, you got Adams and Mancini for 34 and 33 also with good matchups there against Denelson, Lamette and Jay Happ. And Mancini's been terrific uh, most of the year already and obviously been right in the middle of that order with Chris Davis out. So lots of options at first base. I still feel great about paying up for Votto if you can afford to do that. I think that's a slam dunk. But, again, sometimes there's also budget first basemen out there as well, and there's no shortage of them. Let's go over to third base. Jose Ramirez at 41. I mean, the guy's been terrific. I mean, let's, let's be honest right now. I mean, the guy's been on a tear. He's got Andrew Kashner, which, I mean, I've said this before. I feel like last time I talked and trolled Andrew Kashner, he stuck it to me with a good game. But I'm willing to roll the dice and take my chances again against uh, Andrew Kashner, and that includes Jose Ramirez, it includes Encarnacion and Lindor as well. And even Bradley Zimmer, I'll throw him in that mix too because he's been very cheap, usually around 3K or less on FanDuel lately.
2: Yeah, if you're playing the, the day slate in particular, I think just paying up for Ramirez actually makes a lot of sense because of the way the matchups fall and where some of these other third basemen are hitting in their uh, respective batting orders right now. Third base is one of those positions every day. I feel like I'm spoiled for choice though. I don't usually have to fill it in right away. I can kind of look back after I cover the middle infield, the catcher spot, my pitcher spot, and then decide based on what I've got left, you know, which tier I want to invest in because uh, Manny Machado remains priced down. J-Hap's kind of in this weird weird bubble where I don't really ever use him in in GPP or cash. I don't stack against them, But I'll, <laughs> I'll play one-offs against him at least every I now and then. I think you have a
1: healthy fear and respect for J-Hap. You have a healthy it's it's an equal parts fear and respect. That's good. I think that's yeah. good.
2: Yeah, it's like uh, it's like broccoli. You know, you do know, you kind of know what it is. You don't want a lot of it. You want a little bit of it. You just you know you know how to handle right. it.
1: Right, every now and then, if someone knows how to cook it right, it's good. But most of the time, it's you know it really just kind of clears you out.
2: Yeah. So if if Jay gets like the Padres at Petco and Interleague, sure, okay, and that occasion, I'll do it. But that's like deep frying broccoli to the point where it's not even fair. I'll I'll, I'll pretty much eat anything that's deep fried, and I'll use pretty much anybody uh, against the Padres. So. Looking at the third base position for the the night portion, there are so many ways to go. Donaldson still seems a little underpriced. He's got Ubaldo at 3,900. That's kind of at the top of the scale uh, from this bunch. Travis Shaw's been mashing. I mean, Homer Bailey looked awful last time out until he proves that he's the Homer Bailey of old. I think you want to take the occasional shot at him, whether it's a guy like Eric Thames who's still cheap or Shaw. Take your pick. I mean, I, I think Shaw's has been excellent throughout this first half. Uh, I'm looking at the price on Miguel Sano. That's actually kind of tempting as like a contrarian GPP, but I don't think you have to go that far down. I think Justin Turner at 3,600 is really interesting too. We've seen this for a long time, Joe. He's got a pretty strong split against righties, and I think people are always looking for that ideal righty-lefty matchup. But Turner, you know, he's usually in the three spot for the Dodgers. He's got enough pop to, to do damage. And, and J.C. Ramirez, is, as well as he was pitching in April and for a good chunk of May, he's taken a pretty big step here uh, back in June. So I think I like the idea of trying to pick on J.C. Ramirez a little bit tomorrow.
1: And then there's that day game as well in Arizona where, you know, for 3,400, Jed Jerko is in play for me against Patrick Corbin for sure. Uh, Jerko's a guy that I I think we all expected the power, but we did not expect the batting average. Uh, Hitting 292 against righties, 300 against lefties, but he's got the righty in here. He's got eight home runs on the year against right-handed pitching. So to me, that's another way if you want to save some more cash uh and continue to go down that board all right let's go over to second base here you got top of the board jose altuve at 39 uh in that day slate so if you can fit him in there by all means go for it against the rookie pitcher i think that's a slam dunk uh you got daniel murphy at 37 then you got ian happ surprisingly at 35 which i you know to see ian happ as the third second baseman in terms of price that kind of stuck out to me now i know ian happ came on like a house of fire to begin the season, but. I don't know if there's enough floor with Ian Happ for me to get excited about him at 35. So as he continue to go down this road, you made a case for Miguel Sano as the contrary play. If you don't buy into Price, does that mean Brian Dozier's in play
2: as well for you? Yeah, with the discounted Price at 3200 I think Brian Dozier would be a consideration too. I don't think I'd stack against Price. I'm not that much of an animal. Uh, but you know, <laughs> Dozier taking some swipes at a lefty in a park that boosts right-handed power the way Fenway does. Stranger things have happened, and I think there's a pretty strong case uh, to be made to do that. What's been your, your kind of default approach looking for value at second base? Because I feel like the drawback is that you don't always get uh, a lot of power upside. I mean, if, if Jonathan VR is in there after two days where he hasn't started for the Brewers, Is he pretty high on your list at 2,600 going up against Homer Bailey?
1: Well, I'll tell you what. I mean, in the evening slate, you can make that argument. In the day slate, Rugnett Odor at 26 is the way I would be going. Uh, If I'm going to play the all-day, too, Rugnett Odor is the way i go. I know it's against Kluber, but, I mean, if you're looking for that one-off in a GPP kind of thing, that's where the power is. And Odor has hit good pitching in the past. But I'll tell you what, my problem is right now at second base lately, ever since Devin Travis got hurt and now Castro's on the DL, it's been a spot where you kind of have to account for it in your budget. So I feel much better about going up to the guys like Daniel Murphy, who's still not out of control. 37 is not an out-of-control price for him. Uh, You know, I think Pedroia is kind of underwhelming. I think a guy like D. Gordon is just too one-dimensional. I know the steals are there, maybe against the Mets too, if Darno's catching, that's a way you might want to look. But really? it's very difficult to make a case for any of these guys. I've made a case for Jed Lowry some nights, but against Peacock, I don't feel good about it. I actually like your Villar pick to tell you the truth. I think that's kind of the way I would be going here. And it's, it kind of stinks because some of those guys that were playing well have, you know, either hit the DL or hit the skids a little bit. Let's talk about one guy who was playing pretty well before he moved on from second base. If he is in the lineup at seven o'clock in Cincinnati, Against Homer Bailey is Sogard with a lefty righty matchup in play for you because that's the guy to me might be the safest return as long as he's playing.
2: when he plays, he leads off and and right. there's your your kind of pivot. If you don't have VR, you're gonna have Sogard. Um, I, I, the thing about Sogard that still bothers me, even though he's he's walking a lot hitting for a high average, I still don't really trust that there's significant power in his bat. Like he might be a guy that has a great eye and he might be the kind of guy that over a full season could run into eight homers. I don't think there's much more there than that. I think a lot of it's tied up into where he's hitting right now and the quality of the bats behind him. So I don't hate it, but I'm I'm still – I'm not seeing quite enough upside. When I I play Sogard, I still feel pretty bad. What do you make of Tyler Wade? He's only 2,000. If he's in there against James Shields, is Tyler Wade a viable punt play at the Keystone?
1: Uh, I would say – Barely. You know, I, I know why people want to talk about Tyler Wade, and, and in the season long I've been asked this question a lot on the radio lately, and I could say this. Tyler Wade is a guy that has a lot of athleticism. Tyler Wade is fast. Tyler Wade is putting the bat on the ball better than he has in recent years past. Tyler Wade is bereft of power. Tyler Wade is basically, to me, a, another version of Brock Holt, maybe a, a faster version. Now, I don't want to, you know, poo-poo Brock Holt, but at 2K, if he's in the lineup, if it's going to help me go up and get a Kershaw or somebody like that, yeah, okay. Maybe that's the kind of thing that when you want to justify Kershaw in a tournament play, a guy like Wade might be able to be returned there where you can stick him in there as a, as a responsible punt. But it's, it's been tough at second base. I mean, even Whit Merrifield had that little run there for a while we were riding, so it's certainly tricky, that's for sure. Over at shortstop, Carlos Correa, 4,100 top of the board. We talked about Trey Turner at the 4 o'clock game. Love him in that game. Lindora, 36, certainly in play as well in that that day game as well. But in the evening, as we continue to go down here, what are your thoughts on Didi Gregorius at 3,100?
2: Didi is one of those players that I think we just continue to underrate in many circles, and I like where he hits in the order. I like that he has sneaky power, and I like that he's in a road matchup where he's actually in another hitter-friendly environment. So typically I'm trying to use him – when he's at home at Yankee Stadium, and he can take advantage of that short porch. Uh, but we know guaranteed Rate right field, it's very hitter-friendly. The weather's nice and warm, of course, everywhere. So the ball's carrying a lot more. And James Shields can be a gopher ball machine when yes, he's off. So I think Didi Gregorius is one of those guys who should be extremely high-owned on Thursday and probably won't be because people still think he's this skinny shortstop that doesn't have that much legitimate power. But this guy can hit, and he's in a great spot.
1: And I don't understand it because I mean he hit all last year in the second half. He made a lot of good strides. He came back strong from the injury. I mean, I'm not sure you're right, man. What does he have to do? And that's why I went right to him. That's where my eye goes at shortstop in terms of return in the evening. In the daytime, Elvis Andrews at twenty seven hundred. Again, it's it's down there because of Kluber, but you know, in a year where offense has dominated, I still am willing to go with the good offensive players who have played well all year, even though they have tough matchups because I mean how often have we seen offense beat good pitching this year? I feel like it's like a broken record at this point.
2: Yeah, it, it really its happening all too often. The other name I would think about, assuming he comes back from the DL and the expectation is that he will, is that Cozart at 3,000? Based yeah. on what he's done this year on a per-game basis, that's a steal. Uh, I know Jimmy Nelson's pitched well. He mentioned a lot of that's come at home at Miller Park. Uh, but Cozart at 3,000 at a thin position makes a lot of sense if he's activated.
1: Yeah, and plus, a lot of people will be afraid because it's his first day back. If he is in the lineup, they might be kind of shy to put him in the lineup. Don't be shy. I'm with you 100%. Nelson's been bad on the road. I mean, uh, you got to be bad more than once to get a 5 ERA at this point in the season on the road, and Jimmy Nelson's been that. All right, baseball is here. Don't get stranded out on first base without a RotoWire subscription. And don't miss out on this great offer. Make your first deposit on FanDuel today, and you'll get a free six month RotoWire subscription. So go to fanDuel.com slash RotoWire to claim it. You must be a new FanDuel user in order to be eligible. And users may only establish one account on FanDuel. That's FanDuel.com slash RotoWire. On to the outfield. Aaron Judge tops the board here, 4,900 against the White Sox. You talked about James Shields being a gopher ball machine. If the weather is right, my goodness, Aaron Judge and James Shields, that sounds like it might be worth opening the purse strings for.
2: Yeah, I mean, if Aaron Judge is in the Home Run Derby, I think James Shields is uh, top three on his list of people to call to have pitched to him (laughs) for that event. So uh, kind of a preview, perhaps, uh, of what we could see in Miami in a few weeks. But yeah, Judge, I mean, he's 4,900, so he's not going to be in any of your your Kershaw tournament lineups. But if you're going cheaper on that night slate or on the all-day slate, absolutely. Maybe it'll be a little low-owned because of the uh, gravitation towards Kershaw. Uh, on Thursday. But looking at some of these other outfield options, I, I think Ryan Braun at 4,000. People are just kind of looking past him. His ownership rate was really low in his first game back on Tuesday. Uh, I'm still trying to pick on Ubaldo wherever possible. Bautista has been leading off. He homered Wednesday. 3,900 is a good price for him, so he could be a pretty good building block. Mookie Betts at 3,700. It's going to be chalky. But again, one of those three will probably be in my cash game lineup, whether it's Braun, Batista, or Betts, to be determined depending on the other pieces and making the numbers fit. But I like the way that they're all priced down just a little bit lower than they typically would be.
1: Yeah, I agree with you, especially Braun. I think Braun's the one that I have my eye on because I think that people, again, he just came off the DL. People are a little hesitant. But in Cincinnati against Homer Bailey, I don't know how long Homer Bailey is going to be long for that game, and that's something we all have to keep in mind. There's going to be a fair amount of bullpen exposure in that game between Cincinnati and Milwaukee, and I think you want shares of both ends of that. You know, he messed uh, one guy in that grouping, and that's Jock Peterson, who in his last 15 games is hitting three he He's got five home runs, 10 RBIs. He's got the good lefty-righty matchup against Ramirez. What are your thoughts on Peterson at 3,800?
2: Yeah, I like him. I think he's getting priced up to the point where it's, it's not an easy call
1: It's right on the edge. I agree.
2: It's kind of like the, the Shinsu Chu pricing, too. It's done it's the, the exact same thing where the, the per-game output's been so good, it's finally caught up to the point where it's not as automatic as it was a few weeks back. So I, I, I like the spot. I think Dodgers against J.C. Ramirez could be a perfectly viable stack, and if you do that, Peterson could be a part of it. He could work as a one-off. Um, the other guy that I, I like uh, in the mid-3,000 range is Christian Yelich. We haven't brought up Seth Lugo yet, but he's one of the handful of, of healthy arms. The Mets can trot out there right now uh, every fifth day. And you know, when he gives up the long ball, it tends to be to lefties. Uh, he doesn't miss a lot of bats against lefties either. It's kind of kind of bizarre. So I, I think Yelich is the kind of guy that can cash in on that matchup. And I think people generally don't get all that excited about playing Yellich, especially when he's at home, given that Marlins Park is not exactly a great park for home runs.
1: I can't believe I'm going to say this, but a 3,300 Curtis Granderson – is absolutely in play. He's got a hit in all six of his last six games, multi-hit games in four of them. He's got four home runs over that span as well. I mean, the guy's just crushing the ball right now. And we know Grandy is a streaky guy, and he's one who's on a major streak right now at 33. I know the ballpark isn't the best one either, but I don't care. And I know he's got home runs in his last two games leading up to uh, Wednesday night's action. I I don't care against Uriah. To me, it's another one at 3,300. I think that's a great value. If you continue to go down this uh, outfield slate, looking for some cheap, you know, again, responsible kind of guys, Upton's at 32, which I think is a fascinatingly odd price in the day slate for Justin Upton uh, I, against Judas. I don't understand this pricing at all at 32. I mean, Upton I know hasn't hit a home run in a week, but still, doesn't that seem a little low for Jay up?
2: Yeah, it does. They moved them up in the order not that long ago too, so you're getting a, a bit of a, a bump in that regard as well. I think given that it's a, a three-game like afternoon slate, at least the primary afternoon slate, that's going to drive up the ownership rate on Upton, but I still don't think it's a, it's a, it's a fade necessarily because you know the price is certainly fair.
1: Another guy whose price is yet to catch up to how hot he's been is Keon Broxon at 2900 if he's in that lineup. It's a guy that offers you power and speed. He's got three straight stolen bases heading into uh, – actually, three straight stolen bases in the last three games here heading into this one. It's in Cincinnati against Homer Bailey, need I say more? To me, that's another one at 29 You can find a lot of value in outfield to maybe pay up for the Archers, maybe pay up for the Kershaw's in the GPP world. It's a weird night out there. And I think you're going to be throwing darts at some of these lower-priced guys, and you're going to be missing pay lines. I don't think they're the kind of guys who are going to be able to put up the kind of numbers and production you need in order to get to the top of a GPP tournament. I just don't think you can. So as you continue to go down, is there anybody else there? Is it Bradley Zimmer at 28 in the day slate? Is it Avasale Garcia 28? Anybody else? Popsy is a, is a nice return here, really cheap guy. Is it a Bonifacio, too, another guy in the day slate who's been pretty darn good of late?
2: Yeah, I'm looking at at Bonifacio and Jorge Soler, who just got uh, recalled on Wednesday. Finally!
1: God, he's been crushing the ball in Omaha. Can we please recall Soler? No more Brandon Moss DVR.
2: I mean, Soler may just be a Jorge Bonifacio for the Royals, but if they have two guys that hit like that, that's fine. That's an upgrade over Brandon Moss. So, 2200 is the price. I think he was hitting seventh on Wednesday night. I'd like to see him get bumped up in the order, but if you're doing game afternoon GPP, you could do a lot worse than Jorge Soler. I think people are going to be backing away because it's against Fulmer. As good as Fulmer is, it doesn't strike a lot of guys out. So I'll take my chances on a guy like Soler who can make hard contact.
1: Wait a minute. It wasn't Dorothy from the Wizard of Oz from Omaha? Nebraska?
2: Kansas. Oh, Kansas.
1: Oh, damn it. I was trying to bring it full circle. I really tried. I really tried. I'm a disappointment now to everybody. I was really trying to make that that tie from the beginning of the tornado all the way in the podcast. But – such is life. We do our best here. All right, you can follow me on Twitter at Derek Van Riper. Follow me at Joe JoePizzaPS17. For everybody here at Rotowire, have a great day of Daily Fantasy.
3: It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing.